Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I met my next guest last autumn when she was the keynote speaker at a Network Louth event, which I had the pleasure to facilitate. I was so impressed to the extent that I believe... She's the best I've ever encountered in her field of specialisation and expertise. Dr Sabina Brennan is a psychologist, neuroscientist, researcher, speaker, podcaster and author of the brilliant number one bestseller, 100 Days to a Younger Brain. You are so welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you. Uh, You can't see my cheeks. I feel embarrassed now after that. (laughs) Don't be one bit embarrassed. I mean every word. Thank you very much. That's very nice. And I I was so looking forward to this day that you would come and meet me and I would bring it to our listeners as well. Well, look at Sabina. No, it goes without saying, events have really overtaken us in a way. And I've been following you on social media in the last uh, number of weeks and even in recent days. And you're, you're talking about it. Hey, we couldn't even handshake when we come in. We couldn't twiddle noses. <laughs> What's your new one? You've come up with a new greeting. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been there for millennium. But yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the Japanese bow, you know, put the hands to get your own hands together. You can keep quite a distance and just bow. And actually did it last night. Um uh, meeting a couple of people for the first time and um, it actually feels quite nice. It feels very respectful. You know, I've heard people are doing, you know, um, foot bumps and stuff like that and that kind of seems somewhat aggressive or something and, and and maybe easier for the guys to do, not so easy in high heels. But um, no, I actually quite like the, the, the Japanese bow, if I'm calling it correctly, but I, I, I think it is quite common what they I they love do. it. I love it. Yeah. And we did it. We bowed to each other gracefully before we came to studio. Look, I went up to Tesco last night uh, locally here, one of the biggest stores in Ireland. And normally on a Tuesday, I go and get a few little things in my basket. I drove into the car park, Sabina, and I said, what is going on oh, here? Oh, no. I mean, it was like Christmas Eve and I was speaking to the girl. I had to wait ages to get my little basket to the checkout and the girls were saying, we have a Tuesday evening skeleton staff on. Look at this. That's crazy. Can I ask you this, you know, from your work and your life experience and everything? There's a pandemic of fear. What what have you to say about that? I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think fear breeds, breeds fear. And I think, you know, media and, and, and press and, and um, you know, obsessions and constantly talking about something can really get people on high alert. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see the need for running and, and stocking up on food, you know, to the extent that 
that you've just described. So far, I hadn't seen it anywhere, but then that's probably my husband would say because you don't do the shopping, sweetheart. I do. <laughs> but he tells me he hasn't really seen any of it. But um, yeah, I think be sensible. The, you know, we, we all have a role to play in this and that's about not transmitting germs. And the simplest way to do that is 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 with the, the hygiene um, information that we've been given, you know, and be sensible about that. Cough into a tissue. If you don't have a tissue, cough into your elbow. Wash your hands. Remember, notice, I mean, I've travelled quite a bit actually since um, the news of, of, of the virus broke and um, it's only I've really realised how much I touch things or we all touch things in airports you know um, I saw you coming into the studio there and you kind of pushed your elbow in the door and it's those little things I think that can make a a huge difference. It's probably not a good idea to kind of for gangs of people to go to a supermarket. You know, you're you're stocking up on food or toilet rolls that lots of people seem to be doing for some strange reason. And actually you're putting yourself at risk because you're going into a place where there's crowds of people. Um, so just be sensible about it. Um, the stress element, you know, and we're going to come on to stress and what you yeah. deal with as well. You know, I'm sure there are people stressed, people of an age category, people who have underlying conditions as well, and, and others with children and etc. Yeah, I mean, this is one time I believe where the children actually aren't, they would normally be part of the vulnerable group. First of all, I should say I'm not an expert. <laughs> I know, no, I know. You know, on pandemic, you know, on epidemics or on uh, these things. But, the, you know, a lot of this is sensible. And what I do know about is stress and the impact that it can have. But, um, Yes, I think there are a lot of vulnerable groups. I think there's one thing that I feel quite strongly about, and that's how those who have unfortunately died as a consequence of the virus being referred to as, um, oh yeah, well, they have an underlying condition as somehow their lives are less important. I know that's not the intention. The intention probably is to say, well, don't worry. Um, you know, it is it only those who are vulnerable. But to be perfectly honest, most people either have or know somebody who falls into the categories. You're talking about people who are pregnant, over 60, you know, underlying heart condition, asthma, type 2 diabetes. You know, they're not things that would be life-threatening to those individuals anyway. Most of those things, most people you know with asthma, it's very well managed for them, but unfortunately they would um, be vulnerable. Um, and similarly, smokers would be vulnerable. So um, the the point, I, I suppose, I don't want to be adding to that fear is that, um, you know, we all have a responsibility. Um, we are a herd and we really need to protect the other members of our herd and behave um, appropriately and accordingly. Um, I would say to people who are vulnerable and in um, at risk groups um, to try and manage your stress and try and put it in perspective because the real problem with stress is that it um, kicks off your fear centres, you know, so that you, you know, so that you can fight or flee. But in order to do that, it actually dampens down what it considers in that emergency, that acute stress situation, which it evolved for any unnecessary functions. And one of those unnecessary functions in an acute situation is your immune system. And so, if you're allowing yourself to be stressed by this um, virus in a, an ongoing chronic way, you're going to be suppressing your immune function. 
your immune system, which means you're actually going to increase your risk. So try and put it in perspective. If you feel you are at risk, well, then do self-isolate. Minimise your contact with people. Be sensible about your hygiene. Ask those around you to respect that and not interfere. And, you know, if you do need supplies, ask friends, neighbours and others who aren't vulnerable to do that for you. People are only dying to help. I've seen it on Twitter. I've put my name up on Twitter as well, you know, that some of us will be more than happy to help. Um, But I just think we need to calm down and relax. 100 Days to a Younger Brain, multi, multi bestseller. And I know you're working on the next one at the moment. The deadline looms. But despite (laughs) that, you've talked about 100 what about this 100 days walking? I saw pictures of you out. You wouldn't put a milk bottle out the other night. And here is Sabina Brennan out on her walk. <laughs> that photo probably never should have been put up. I put it up and my family went, you you actually showed people that photo of you. But I just felt, hey, it's real. This is what I look. I put photos up when I feel I look well and I have my makeup on. And, you know, that one I look pretty bad in. It was a pretty bad night the other night. Um, I have to put all credit to um, fellow broadcaster um, Kira Kira Kelly yeah. her initiative 100 Days to a Younger Brain uh, no her initiative is 100 Days of Walking yes. which is just superb you know I'm a firm believer I mean, I think Kira is a broadcaster. She was a GP. Those of you who, who know of her, she still has that instinct uh, to want to help people. And um, this for me is a classic example of what I would call social prescribing. You know, we go to the doctor when um, when we're ill and people expect pills. You know, they want something. You know, if they're depressed, um, you know, actually, if they're worried about their memory function and they want someone to fix it. Well, actually, you know, walk taking exercise is one of the best natural remedies that there is for lots of things, physical um, physical issues, mental health issues and for brain health. Um, so I'm a walker anyway. I would do it anyway. Um, and I just thought this year, well, you know what, actually, um, well, two things, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, you know, with the book coming out and from last September to December, I was just travelling so much. Um, and, and I do find it hard to keep up my exercise routine and my healthy diet when I'm travelling. For some reason, I don't know what it is. If there's any listener out there who knows the answer to this, I would love to know the answer to this. Why do, when we travel and we go on airplanes and trains, do we feel more hungry? (laughs) Do we feel like... Normally, I'm really happy with three meals a day and maybe one snack, you know? And sometimes I might forget a meal if I'm, you know, really caught up in writing or what I'm doing. But if I'm on a plane, it's like, oh, I better get something in case I'm hungry on the plane. And then I arrive in the hotel and I go, God, I'm starving. What's on the menu? And I end up eating about four or five. So anyway, that's a very long winded way of saying that I'd gained a bit of weight. And I thought, well, you know what? I want to force myself to do the exercise. And I think actually anyone who's considering that, you know, it's a great way to go public, you know, and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to post a picture of it because believe you me there are nights like the other night where I looked out and I went oh my god I really don't want to go out but because you've committed publicly you do it but actually what's lovely about it um, and what I like I think there's an added bonus and I, I think it's an unintended consequence a positive one um, um, uh, is that um, and I hope actually to talk to Kira about it. She's going to be a guest on my podcast, so um, I want to talk to her about it. But the unintended consequence, I think, of walking um, and 
posting on social media that you're doing is it's 100 days. So you can't keep posting the same photograph. You know, that's not interesting for Mm. people who follow you, you know. So it actually forces me each time I go out to look for something to post and something to say about that thing that I might post. So that's actively getting my brain engaged, which is good for my brain. You know, I have to think, you know, no, I can't post that. And, And a lot of the time I walk the same route, you know, so you kind of run out pretty quickly of things to post on that. But it actually actively gets me thinking. But then the second benefit is it keeps me very present in the moment. And I'm actually very focused on what I'm doing while I'm doing it because I want to record how I felt. Like, I mean, to be honest, the rain the other night actually felt like pin daggers in my face. It was very sore rain for some reason. So it makes you focus because you think, well, how will I share that story but it makes you look I mean I remember one of the evenings posting something and it was literally I was walking by a wall you know a a quite old wall and it had moss on it and it was actually really quite beautiful and I took a close-up photograph of it and and shared that Um, and and I just think that's good you know so I think it's hugely Mm. beneficial and I also think then of course online and there's lots of negatives around social media that we talk a lot about but lots of positives too there's a lot of people who are getting to share and connect and create a new community online who might be um, alone or or, you know missing that opportunity so I, I think it's fabulous It's interesting the link between the physical and the mental that you make there and fantastic it is I want to take a short break Dr Sabrina Brennan is with us on Late Lunch her book is called 100 Days to a Younger Brain she's brought brought along two copies of the book she's going to sign them for you now we're going to get on to the book uh, in a moment if you'd like a copy of this book and my god this book will be your Bible it'll sit by your desk so it will it'll sit by your bedside or whatever and you'll go back to it time and time again I promise you here's the question 100 days is in the title. How many hours are in 100 days? How is that for a difficult question? Aren't I an awful man? How many hours in 100 days? Answers to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text us now with your name and details and we'll pick a couple of people before the end of the show. At the beginning of this book, Sabina, 100 Days to a Younger Brain, I quote, you say here uh, that you can boost brain health and change your brain at any age. Now, I have to say to you, don't we all experience, uh, don't we all experience diminishing brain power and function with age? Um, hmm. So there's two questions in yes, there. Yes. Right. OK, so the first question is, is it possible to change your brain at yeah. any age? Yes, your, cha- your brain is changing as you speak, as your listeners listen to what you're saying, because it's not a fixed set organ. It's a dynamic organ. So what you do what you don't do the you know the 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 choices you make everything that you do changes your brain um so that's kind of something that's constantly happening you've 86 billion neurons in your head and trillions of connections between them and they communicate with each other by electrical and chemical signals so you know, the very act of me talking to you or you reading my book has actually changed your brain. That's the way it is. Um, uh, the thing is, the brain has this capacity. It's called, the, the scientific term is neuroplasticity, right? And really, that's just a fancy word that may, means your brain can adapt and change to experience in, in response to environment and experience. That's what kind of really keeps us alive and allowed us evolve as a species also. It's a fantastic capacity. What it means is your brain has can can change with learning 
So anytime you learn something new, you're growing new connections between cells in your brain. And, and that's changing your brain. You know, I, I mean, it's phenomenal. And, and that is the thing that you can harness to keep your brain healthy. So stimulation of the brain, learning new things, interacting with new people, taking on new challenges, all at any age. They're, they're fundamental. You that's must- That's fundamental. But I want to say to people, don't confuse learning with academic learning or with your experience from school. It's not it's learning anything new. Carpentry, you know, trying a new food, listening to a different genre of music. Your brain has to work harder. If you're used to listening, we'll say, to pop music and then you want to challenge your brain and you go, right, I think I'd like to try out classical music or jazz or bluegrass, whatever. Your brain knows what the the pattern, the language of pop music is, you know, a verse, a chorus, maybe a bridge or whatever. And so it doesn't have to work hard to understand it. It, it, it can just listen and, and let it happen. You introduce a new type of music, your brain goes, oh, oh, that's not doing what you know, we expect it to. So your brain has to kind of work that bit harder and learn. Over time, it will learn the pattern and then it will understand that music. And then, you see, it's really all about... The brain is its a small organ proportionately to your body. It only weighs about 2% of your body, but it consumes about 20-25% of the oxygen and nutrients, you know, that's circulating at any time. And it's a high energy organ. So that means that it has to be thrifty um, in terms of how it functions. So that means it has to do a lot of things on autopilot. It it has to do things. That's why we're creatures of habit, you know. So if you go to the supermarket and you always buy, you know, Rice Krispies, you know, your brain doesn't look at everything that's on the shelf and make a, de- a decision. It just goes down and, you know, you know, picks the blue and white packet, whatever. You know, it's not even reading it. it, it it's, you know, operating in a shorthand way so that it can save energy. It takes much more energy for it to actually go and decide, well, actually, I'm not going to eat those anymore. I'm going to pick a healthy breakfast or I'm not saying Rice Krispies aren't healthy, but, you know, but that gives me to your sort of your second question, if yeah. you remind me. Yeah, no, I'm going to remind you, but just before you say that, it is so true because I am a, a Tesco shopper and I know the store, it's in my mind or brain. And didn't they shift oh, a whole section? <laughs> and I can see what you're saying. My brain went, what the hell is happening here? Where is it? And I had to go and look for assistance to find it. That's just as an aside. The second part was this. Is it inevitable that, you know, there is diminishing brain function and power with age? No, decline in brain function, it's, you know, decline in memory function is not an inevitable part of ageing. So the brain can actually age quite well and continue to perform quite well. What we know now is disease is the cause of most decline Um, and that, you know, the disease that worries most people um, would be dementia, the various types of dementia, Alzheimer's disease being the most common. Um, But um, there are other things that can affect your your brain function, your your lifestyle, etc., that you may not be, you know, accounting for. But um, we we don't get off scot-free like happens to us in terms of our physical functioning, um, we do experience a general slowing. So I can't run 100 metres as fast as I used to. Um, I actually can't get up you know, out of a chair as fast as I used to probably. But um, we kind of just accept that as part of ageing. However, um, something very similar happens 
you know, basically our brain is an information processing system. It's taking in information all the time and it has to process it, make sense of it and decide, you know, whether to act on it or not act on it, store that information, forget it, whatever. Um, And so actually our capacity, our information processing speed, the speed at which we can process that information slows down. Now, the difference between what happens us physically and what happens in our brain is we accept that we can't run 100 miles an hour, you know, or, you know, whatever the speed. And we say to people, why? Hold up. I can't walk as fast as you. Hang on for me. But if you can't find that word that you're looking for, what do you do? You, you go in a panic. You get stressed, like we were talking about earlier. And if you get stressed, you know, that releases sets off the stress response, release cortisol, that gets in the way of you finding that word. Whereas actually, if you just said, oh, a little bit slower, it'll come back to me. Continue with what you're saying. Most of you will have done this. If you just say, oh, it'll come back to me, it will come back to you because it just, your brain just needs that little bit longer to find it. Now, the really good news is, whilst as we get older, you know, our information processing um, gets a bit slower, our accuracy remains exactly the same. So the thing is, if you do find that, ban the stress and actually just say to people, you know what, hold on. It's just my processing system is a little bit slower and forgive yourself. Just understand um, that, that, you know, that that's that's the case. The other thing is most people say, you know, does memory decline with age? We do seem to... um, experience difficulties with age in making new memories for recent events. However, not all of that is necessarily to do with memory function. When we get older, we do become a bit more absent-minded. But there's other times in our life we become more absent-minded. We become more absent-minded if we're overworked, if we're overstretched, if we're stressed, you know, if we're pregnant, you know, we can become absent-minded. And that really just means that we're not present in the moment. We're not paying attention to what we're doing while we're doing it. So a lot of those things that you might refer to as memory failures are most probably failures of attention not attending to what you're doing. Phew, I'm just here relieved because I I find more and more that it it must be absent-mindedness that I'm talking about. And I have a million things going on in my head together and you have situations and that, that all impacts Oh, absolutely. If I, I just take that classic scenario of you come, you, you come home from work, you know, and uh, if you're like me, you want to kick off the high shoes, you take the coat off, you're starving, you go, is there anything in the fridge? Do I have to cook dinner? Wait till I tell you about what happened in work today, whatever. And in the midst of all that, you put your keys down. And the next morning you get up and you go, where the hell are my keys? And you go, God, my memory's going, can't remember where I put the keys. But you weren't attending to where you put the keys. And that's the first step in the memory making process, really. Because if you haven't attended to something, you can't encode that memory, which means you can't consolidate it at night when you go asleep. And um, you can't retrieve a memory that wasn't created. Absolutely brilliant. If I take nothing from today, I'm going to take that pay attention where you leave the keys. <laughs> Come back to the point of building resilience and what you write about in the book, the reserve in your brain and building up this reserve. Will you talk to me for a few moments about that? Yeah, that's it's it's kind of an interesting concept and and um uh it 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 comes back from it's it's the area that I did my um my PhD on. Um excuse me, and what made me passionate about sharing this information, just to give a tiny, to digress a tiny bit, just to let your your your, your listeners know, like I came to academia very late in life. Um, and uh, so I did my PhD. Well, I went to university. Well, sorry. well, can I jump in there if you're going to jump in? <laughs> the 
this woman appeared in Fair City. Oh, gosh. As yes. an actress in 160 episodes playing the part of Tess Halpin. Yes, that's a question we should have put out we there. We should have put that out for the book. Oh, the old brain, you see. That's what that's I, the I need more of this stimulation. That's the question. Yeah. You were, though. You I were. was, yeah. I played Tess Halpin, so my screen son is still in the show, Damien Halpin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so any of you out there who ever watched the show back in, I left in 2003, I think. Um, uh, I've come up a couple of times, uh, you know, as one of the most gruesome murders um, that took place on the show. Anyway, you can Google me. You you'll can find Google it. that. I've now pulled you away from no, that's fine. What? No, you're fine. I'll, I'll get back there. <laughs> My father was brilliant for that. He'd have about 10 trains of thought going, but he always brought them back together. So I learned from a master. Um, so as sure as I say that now, I'll forget what I was saying. Anyway, after I left Fair City, um, I, I went to university, did an undergrad degree in psychology, and then I got a scholarship to do a PhD. And the PhD I did was on how your brain changes with age, to put it very simply. Um, and while I was doing that, I was you have to read a huge amount of literature. And I kept coming across this literature on reserve mm. um, and resilience and about how people... Um, and this research goes back to 1989. There was a researcher called Katzman and he was interested in understanding the difference between, you know, what was going on in the brain of someone who had Alzheimer's disease compared to the brain of somebody who didn't. Um, same age. So he looked at the brains of individuals, slices of their brain, post-mortem, obviously, <laughs> um, after they had died, of individuals from a nursing home who had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. And his control group, what we would call a control group for comparison, were individuals from a nursing home of the same age with no diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. And he made this amazing discovery. He found 10 cases uh, in his control group of individuals who were functioning perfectly normally from a cognitive perspective um, that had sufficient pathology, sufficient Alzheimer's disease in their brain for a diagnosis, but they had no symptoms. So for some reason, these individuals were resilient. And that sparked a whole area of research. The area of research that I work in is trying to understand why those people are resilient. We've no cure for Alzheimer's disease. So prevention is key or building resilience, something that we can do so that even if we get the disease, we have some protection. So we now know that those that, that resilience is linked to lifestyle factors. And that really sparked my book, because really that's what the book um, goes into in detail, is those lifestyle factors that will allow you build the resilience. Because the thing is, if you get a disease like Alzheimer's disease, in the early stages anyway, initially, it's not about how much disease you have in your brain, but how much healthy brain you have. And we have the capacity to build, you know, to expand the size of our brain and also how well it works. So we have the capacity to keep making our brain more healthy. By doing what? Oh, by, well, by, by living a brain healthy life. So um, getting physically active, we talked about that earlier, staying socially connected, being engaged with other people socially, um, challenging your brain that we talked about, learning new things, um, looking after your heart, because your heart um, is really a pump that services your brain. And if your cardiovascular system, if you have blockages in your, you know, in your vascular system, that means that the delivery of the nutrients and oxygen that your brain needs to uh, function well will be compromised. So looking after your heart is really, really important. Um, uh, so your attitude matters as well. I mean, I'll go through a quick list of, because, uh, you know, we can reduce the risk of, of, 
developing Alzheimer's disease as well. And there's there's a number of risk factors um, and they are, I, I just want to explain first that Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia and that's what we're talking about here. Okay, um, type 2 diet, these are modifiable risk factors, things you can do something about. Type 2 diabetes, these increase your risk. Type 2 diabetes, midlife obesity, um, midlife high blood pressure, smoking, low levels of physical activity, low levels of education or mental stimulation um, and depression. So they're the seven that were, were discussed. We, you know, this was published in a paper in The Lancet and that paper says that, you know, those factors, seven factors, um, 30% of all cases of Alzheimer's disease can be attributable to those factors. One so, in three. Yeah, so we so we could really, really change the face, you know, uh, of the future of the amount of people affected by Alzheimer's disease. And there's two other factors that are really important, actually equally important. They just weren't covered in that paper. One is alcohol consumption, which never goes down well when you talk to an Irish population, but I'm just, you know, giving people the message. And the second one is loneliness and, and isolation. So loneliness is actually as bad for your health, not just your brain health, but your general health as smoking and obesity. My God, like, you know, when you concentrate and think about those things, they are all things we can deal with. Absolutely. And, and you know, address. Yeah. And, and even if you're experiencing some of them, you can improve Yes, yes. No, you can. That's the, that's the thing. Not a thing. Something cause. like type two diabetes. You know, yes. you've got to manage your, your, your. You were talking about your sugar. You know, the sugar challenge. <laughs> your sugar challenge. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you can you you can manage di- You know, uh, type two diabetes. I mean, the things. You know, uh, getting getting sufficient sleep. I have an entire chapter in my book on, yeah. on sleep. It is absolutely critical. The World Health Organization have actually declared a sleep loss epidemic because so few of us, so many of us are not getting enough sleep. And that's self-induced. We don't need a vaccine for that. We actually just need to change our behaviours and ensure that we get enough good quality sleep. Um, and that is critical for your brain health, but also critical for um, your physical health. For example, if you just had... Um, Six nights of less than four hours sleep, which a lot of people partying, burning the candle both ends might do. That is sufficient to put your body into a pre-diabetic state because it screws around with your um, the, the hormones um, in, you know, in, um, that are associated with appetite and eating and insulin and, and all those sorts of things. So sleep is critical um, and don't underestimate how important it is. It's critical for memory, but um, it's also critical in terms of helping to prevent um, Alzheimer's disease. There's a, quite a link between um, disrupted sleep and um, Alzheimer's disease. Do you know the constant warrior? The yes. half glass full person. Yes. What about that type of individual who just can't get out of that, you know, situation that they find themselves in with their thinking? Yeah, yeah. Um, thinking is important. Like, as I said earlier, you know, your, your behaviour changes your brain. Um, but thinking is a behaviour. Um, and it's also habitual, like our other behaviours. Um, and so it can be changed. So um, can't really is 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 not accurate. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's easy, yeah. but it can be changed. I think you have to acknowledge, you know, we all, 
we all come with certain traits. You know, we come into the world with traits. You know, we bring with us a history. You know, we bring with us evolution, but we also bring with us, you know, a genetic history and, and, and traits. I would actually, my trait level would, would be to tend towards high anxiety, but I've actually managed it, you know, over the years. Um, uh, so everybody will have a different level on that, but then you can actually work to, to manage those things. Um, and to be honest, for people who are high anxiety, you know, that's related to the stress response. And I feel very strongly about the stress response. Um, stress is not a bad thing. The the idea to say when people say, oh, you've got to eliminate stress, get rid of stress. No, that would be really bad for your brain because too little stress is is means that you're not challenging yourself. I've just said that to keep your brain healthy, you've got to challenge it, you've got to learn new things. And um, in order to rise to any of those challenges, you need to evoke the stress response. So it's about finding the optimal amount of stress for you, your stress sweet spot. If you become chronically stressed, that changes completely how your brain functions. It also suppresses neuroplasticity that we were talking about. It suppresses it in a part of your brain called the hippocampus, which is responsible for learning and memory. So it is going to inhibit um, your ability to remember and learn new things. It also increases neuroplasticity in your amygdala, which is your fear centres, which will make you more anxious, more fearful, more stressed out. So I think if people start to understand those things and realise this is biological, that actually I need to just consciously start to work on this and say, actually, that's just that tiny little thing called the amygdala in my brain overreacting. I need to work on dampening it down. I saw in a relatively recent interview you did as well, paraphrasing you, you don't uh, really sweat too much about things anymore in life. Is that with experience? Yeah, I I, I do think that comes... I mean, I, I alluded to it earlier. I mean, I would have been kind of, you know, my, my temperament would have been quite anxious and... Um, uh, yeah, I did worry a lot about things. And, and really, I do think that's part of the wisdom that comes with age and with experience is is really realising, um, you know, you've only got one bite of this cherry and don't waste it on, on stuff that's not really relevant and that doesn't really matter. Does it really matter? And to also, I think, recognise and realise that every action... Every choice that you make, everything that you do impacts on you. It impacts on your health. It impacts on who you are. It impacts on what your future will be like. You know, you, I think that's quite empowering. You know, you can make choices that can improve your health. You can make choices that, you know, allow you hold on to brain function for longer. You can make choices that can enrich your life. I think a lot of us, particularly when it comes to health, somewhere along the way, abdicated responsibility for our health to the health service executive or to the NHS. I've just been... um, um, on an advisory board um, in in Westminster for they have an, these all party parliamentary groups and this particular one was on longevity and they invited me over to contribute to it you know be, you know around brain health etc and and their goal was to add five extra healthy years to living we're all living longer but unfortunately we're accruing chronic health conditions. And so, you know, brain health, I firmly believe, is one of the ways that you can add those extra healthy years because what's good for your brain is good for your body and it's, you know, it's good for your mental health as well. Um, but that's that's the real dilemma is that people 
don't feel responsible for their own health. I mean, we have it here. This is probably not, I'm on, check myself before I say this, but the thing is, we have a bed crisis, coronavirus aside, and um, we have a bed crisis, but 60% of all of our beds in hospitals are taken up by chronic lifestyle-induced diseases. So if anyone out there wants to help reduce the bed crisis, wants to make sure that we have enough beds for people who have congenital conditions, for people who, you know, you know, are vulnerable, who, you know, who get viruses, etc. The thing that you can do, and I really believe this, that big things happen when lots of people make little changes. If you look after your health, if you make sure that you live a healthy life and that you don't you know, develop a lifestyle-induced disease, you're going to free up beds for other people. (laughs) Well said. Well said. I don't know how people will come back at me on that. No, but it is the truth. It It, is the reality. And I have to say, it is not blaming people. No. This is not about blame. This is actually about empowerment and about saying, you have a choice. You can choose things that actually will let your body and your brain function better. Tell me about this new podcast. You just launched the first in a brand new series of your own podcast. And joining you on the first one was a very interesting lady. Did you have a little listen? (laughs) Tell Um, them about her. Oh, she's fascinating. Yeah, the podcast is called Superbrain. Yeah. Okay. Um, And my very first guest, as I I, I said in the introduction to it, is she's my kind of superbrain. Her name is Hilary Fannin. You might know her. Um, Her name might be familiar. She's an Irish Times journalist. She is a wonderful writer. Um, I'll give her a little plug too actually because her first novel comes out next week and it's called The Weight of Love and it's amazing. I've had the pleasure of reading it and it's a fantastic read. Um, she she actually, we talk a, a lot about various different things but she went to school and at the age of four she was branded as stupid and weak uh, and she believed that. Uh, she reckons in hindsight she had some sort of, you know, either dyslexia or something, uh, you know, on, along that line. She believed it. Um, She didn't have any qualifications. She didn't go to university, you know, um, and she talks about it herself. She was working in waitressing and sluice rooms, etc. And somehow she harnessed that wonderful brain that she had inside her head that nobody else recognised. And she was, as she says herself, belligerently resilient. And so now she went to university for the first time in her 50s. Um, She is an Irish Times uh, columnist, an award-winning columnist like you, an award-winning broadcaster, Jerry. um, Oh my God, who's blushing now? (laughs) The blush started with you. It's just transferred across the desk. Go on. Um, And yes, and and written the most uh, amazing novel. And that's why I call the podcast Superbrain, actually. It's not about me. I was going to be super brain, you know, Sabina Brennan, super brain. And I went, no, I actually have to take my name off there because people will think I'm saying, hey, I'm super brain. No, it's about the fact that your brain, everybody has this amazing super brain inside their head. It's the most complex structure in the known universe. And we underuse it. And, you know, you have the power. I think it's so funny. People, you know, when the latest smartphone comes out, latest technology comes out, you know, people queue up for it. They want it. People are looking at AI, artificial intelligence. 
what amazing stuff is going to come out of that. Artificial intelligence is just trying to replicate what your brain does. You already, and they can't, it can't replicate it. It can't come anywhere near it. You already have the most complex structure in your head. Just use it. And and if you do, and if you look after its health, you can start actually to reach your own potential. And that's what I want to do is help people unleash their super brain. Um, so I talk to amazing guests who've kind of done that. And that's on a Monday. And then actually on a Thursday, you get to listen to me for about 10 or 15 minutes in a little solo broadcast where I give some tips about brain health or I actually explore in a little more detail something that came up you know, when we talk to the guests and usually when I'm talking to the guests like that, I was talking to um, Hillary in the first episode about creativity. And so I kind of give a little insight what goes on in your brain during creativity. Fantastic. I um, wish you well with it. Super Brain is the name of the podcast. And we should just mention before we finish up National Brain Awareness Week begins next Monday, the 16th of March and runs to the 22nd. And it's under the auspices of the Neurological Alliance of Ireland. Yes, and that's Love Your Brain. If you go on to loveyourbrain.ie, that's again the same principle. It is just about saying love your brain um, and and start thinking about it and using it. Last word before we finish. Now, thank you again for joining us. Doesn't the current uh, crisis that we face in, in this world bring it home? how vulnerable we are as a species. Yeah, I, I think it, 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 it... I think being human, part of our human condition is to distance ourselves from our biology. We somehow think that we exist independently of our biology and we don't. We are our biology. Your brain creates you. Actually, it is your brain that constructs you. And that's why, actually, if things change in your brain, even your hormones, if your hormones change in your brain, because they're chemical messengers that work on your brain or your neurotransmitters, that will change who you are. That's why sometimes when we're sick or if we have something like brain fog, we say, I just don't feel like myself and that's because you're you're you know what's going on in your brain has changed um this have i time to tell you a tiny little you have story so i'm actually writing at the moment my next book is about brain fog and i'm actually immersed in hormones at the moment and how they impact on your brain and there's one little story i came across and it was a gentleman who um went for four months um with little or no testosterone he was undiagnosed and um Essentially, he lost himself. He had no drive. Um, he had uh, just everything. When I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about he had no interest in anything. He, you know, didn't know what he wanted. He couldn't make decisions. He didn't know what was going on. Then they actually discovered what had happened and they gave him, you know, they reintroduced testosterone into his system and he was back. He was back. And he said... That was just very, very humbling because he said up to that point, he thought that he existed independently of anything and everything. But actually, we don't. We are our bodies. And that's why if you value yourself, you've got to look after your body and your brain. Leave that thought with them this afternoon. I remind you again, there's a new one on the way, but the book is bestseller, 100 Days to a Younger Brain. If you want a copy, last time, this is your last chance, going once, going twice. It's going to be sold here shortly. Yes, the question is, how many hours are in 100 days? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Dr. Sabina Brennan, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you so much, Jerry. It's been wonderful, actually. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 